Farmers today are facing rising costs, volatile markets, and extreme weather. The Better Way to Farm podcast digs into strategies to help you take control of farm inputs and maximize profit so your farm can thrive for generations. Remember to take advantage of our free resources at abetterwaytofarm.com. Now, from America's Heartland, here's your host. Merry Christmas. We're closing in on the end of it. We're on day 11, and today we're going to look at Molly and Chlorine. Rod here at A Better Way to Farm, where we increase yields and improve profits. We are working our way through the 12 days of nutrients, and I'm excited to get a chance to do that. Got on our new Christmas shirt here today. Hope you're sporting yours. Karen says it makes you happier. Don't discount that. I want to start with Belibdanum. Molly, a lot of people will call it instead. And as we take a look at these two nutrients, these are probably the two that are the least studied, there's the least known about, and there's a lot of bright ideas and a lot of conjecture and some very inconsistent things that are out there about them. Starting with talking about Molly first, we know that it is required to form the enzyme nitrate reductus which reduces your nitrates into ammonium in the plant. And remember, everything involves something else. All the nutrients are related. And we know that that plant, especially late in its life, a corn plant's really looking for in in the ammonium form. We have a lot of nitrate in the soil, so we take it up as nitrate. We have to convert it back, and moly helps to do that. It aids in the formation of your legume nodules, and it's needed to convert inorganic phosphates into the organic forms in the plant. Now, as we start looking at all the different things that Molly does and what some of the other authors have to say about it, I'll start in the Midwest book where we're just going to revisit what some of the things that, that it does. We're also going to find out that deficiencies are usually associated with acid, sandy soils. Soil pH is the most influential factor of infecting the availability of molly. Unlike the other micronutrients, the availability of molly increases as the soil pH goes to neutral or higher. As it goes above 7, it becomes more available. Therefore, a lot of molly deficiencies can be corrected just by liming. Because if we have a pH of 5.8 and we lime, that will release a bunch of that molly in to be available there for the plant to take up. And so we don't want to lose sight of the fact that, again, now we're back to saying calcium is important because we want to make sure that we've got the right pH in there. We want to be fixing that so that molly will kick loose and be ready to go. Out of the fertilizer handbook, as I look in here, it says that levels of the available molly are lowest in acid rather than alkaline soils. We already talked about this. Therefore, liming the soils may correct your deficiencies. Plant requirements are much lower for molly than any other micronutrient. Deficiencies of molly are not common in most crops, but because it is directly involved in nitrogen fixation by bacteria and legume nodules, molly requirements for legumes are higher than they are for other crops. Generally, a molly deficiency will look like a nitrogen deficiency, especially in legumes. Marginal scorching and rolling or cupping of the leaves are characteristic of severe molly deficiencies. Obviously, a molly deficiency creates a nitrogen deficiency. So the same thing, this is why we want a tissue test. You may look at it and say that's nitrogen and it may be a nitrogen deficiency, but it could be because we don't have enough molly that we're creating our own nitrogen deficiency even though we have the presence of it. Here's the kicker on the deal, guys. Here's your usual application rate for molly. Somewhere between one half 
and 5 ounces per acre. Somewhere between 0.5 and 5 ounces per acre is the typical application rate. Guys, that's not very much. If other things are called micronutrients, this would be called a micro-micronutrient just because the need is so small. Super important, but we need a very, very, very small amount of it. As we look at our Western Handbook, and it's again, they're going to reiterate what it is that the deficiencies look like. And so if you can get your hands on this book, guys, it's got a real good synopsis on what these deficiencies are, how you, you look at them and you identify them. Molly, again, is associated with nitrogen utilization. Very small amounts are needed. Plants containing an excess of this element are toxic to livestock. We don't want to have too much molly in the plant. Symptoms of a molly-starved plant include stunted and yellow in color, closely resembling the nitrogen-deficient plants. Why? Because it basically creates the nitrogen deficiency. And so we want to make sure that we're getting enough on, that we have enough on, and tissue testing is our friend. We do not want too much because we don't want to poison our cattle or our hogs, whatever it is that we might be feeding it to. Coming out of From the Soil Up by Shreefert, again, Low pH will release excessive amounts of what? Manganese, copper, and boron. On certain soils, these elements can reach toxic levels in availability. Molly is the only trace element that becomes less available under a low pH. One of the many reasons, guys, when you're trying to establish that alfalfa stand, alfalfa stand establishment starts two to three years before you plant it. It starts by getting the pH right. It starts by getting the calcium right. And legumes, if they're in a soil pH below 6.0, in particular, this will point them out to being deficient in molly. And that is not what we're after. But guys, if we're going to go out here and we want to address our molly, what do we have to address? We have to address our calcium because that's what's going to make the world go round and make it work right. There's no reason to apply molly when we need lime. I was talking to a gentleman today whose pH is under 6 going to be revisiting what it is that we're going to do about that and why it is that we need to get that calcium on there. We still got to look at those mag levels to ascertain if we need a high mag or a low mag lime. Coming out of the Echo Farm book, I'm very excited. This is a new one. We didn't get this until after we finished last year and I found a lot of good things in here. This one talks that plants that are ashed will reveal somewhere between 0.01 or 1 one hundredth of a part per million up to about 10 parts per million. That's what is required. Beyond that, there's a mystery. Certain beneficial organisms, microorganisms need molly, or they will not be around to set up the stage for anion nutrient uptake. And for this reason, it's difficult to discuss this nutrient in a closed airtight compartment. They all relate to each other and are complexed by each other. Guys, more and more and more than forever, I believe that one of the next frontiers, maybe it's not going to be bugs in a jug. Maybe it's going to be the right micronutrients in the right spots with the right rates, and those are going to feed the bugs. Because the more I read, the more I find out about this, that certain beneficial microorganisms need moly. They need copper. They need zinc. They need manganese. They need boron. Being short in those nutrients makes us not able to uptake the other nutrients. And so what are we going to do? We're going to go out here and address it all. We're going to do the whole thing. You know, here on my desk pad in red ink, it says, it is never wrong to do the right thing. 
It also says frustration is a precursor to innovation. I hope if some of you are feeling frustrated right now that you reach out to us because we'd like to assist you with the innovation on that. But we do know that it is never wrong to do the right thing. And we want to make sure we're attempting to do that to the best of our abilities. Bottom line, guys, we're going to get, you know, 30, 40, we're real lucky, maybe 50 growing seasons. But the fact of the matter is it's a limited. It is a finite number of growing seasons. Why not get the most out of them? And guys, if you can come in and find someone who can help you and they can take 10 or 15 years off the learning curve, I want to keep studying. I want to keep experimenting. That's what we do every year. But there are certain things that's already been proven and there's no reason to reprove those. We can just start out 20 years forward and then start working from that and, and making things go faster and go better. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. As we get into hands-on agronomy, yes, we do like Neil. He says that moly, again, is the only micronutrient which the availability will increase as the pH goes up. And it is super important for nitrogen-fixing bacteria and legumes. Guys, this just keeps coming home. If you're going to plant alfalfa, please get that pH right. It also says that moly should not be applied when the copper levels are deficient. In such case, a proper application of both is necessary. If we're short in copper, we do not want to apply moly. If we're short in moly, we do not want to apply copper. We want to make sure that we have those correct. And the only way to do that is through testing. Again, moly is essential for the nitrate reductase enzyme. Some crops like cauliflower, broccoli, alfalfa, and clovers are sensitive. If you're growing alfalfa and you're thinking about using an inoculant on the seed, apply the moly separate to avoid killing the bacteria. Concentrated moly is hard on bacteria. And then as we keep working forward here on this, we jump over to page 299. And this is the last thing we have coming out of the books on moly. When crops on soils with adequate fertility that test low in copper fail to respond to copper applications, a moly test should be considered. Both need to be present in adequate amounts since neither one can influence the amount a crop can take up of the other one. Guys, it's really, really important. This copper moly train or runs on this this deal runs on parallel tracks. And we want to make sure that we're getting this down and that we're doing it right. But it is tied into copper, it's tied into nitrogen utilization, it's tied into a whole bunch of things. Now here's some of the things that not out of the books, it just that we've learned. I have some different friends who've experimented. I had one particular girl over in Illinois, used Molly, tested it one year had fantastic results super excited about it was going to do it everywhere and then he came back the second year and tested it again used a lot more of it tested it again and got zero got absolutely nothing this is one of those nutrients that there's still an awful lot for us to learn about you can take a soil test through midwest labs they can tell you what your levels are i think one of the big flags would be if you're having troubles with nitrogen it doesn't look like you're utilizing it and you think you have enough on i'd probably test for molly you can always tissue test your plant i also think that if you're applying copper and you're still having a copper deficiency probably want to take a look at the molly levels and see what they are but I don't think we want to just go out here. This is definitely a product where if an ounce is good, a pound is not better. You know, we're talking about putting this on at a half ounce per acre rate. Guys, that's tiny. A half ounce per acre. So this thing is powerful. It is very, you know, obviously very concentrated. And we want to make sure we're using it judiciously. And I think just going out here and saying, hey, I think we're going to throw a bunch of molly in might not be in our best interest in order to do that. So... 
That being said, let's jump over into chlorine and chloride. And this always is a, a session that gets quite a bit of information, but it also gets quite a bit of attention and sometimes some debate. And guys, we're not trying to have a debate. Our, our goal is to never upset anybody. Our goal is to make people think. We would like you to start asking why. You can ask us why. You should be able to ask your supplier why. Why is that? Because if you can't ask why, that's a red flag. And you need to be able to know why you're doing what you're doing. It's your money. It's your money. So you ought to be able to know why you're spending it and what you're expecting to get out of it. The first thing I want to talk about is the difference between chlorine and chloride because oftentimes they're used interchangeably and they're not exactly the same thing. However, the thing to remember is this. The negatively charged ion formed from chlorine is called chloride. Chloride comes from chlorine. Chlorine atoms are very reactive and tend to form chloride ions in order to get a stable electron. Chlorine is a chemical element, whereas chloride is a negatively charged ion. But man, are they closely related. I found a deal in plant science, and it said it's called the review of the significance of chlorine for crop yield and quality. A deficiency of chloride hardly ever appears in the field. Second, excess of chloride results in severe physiological dysfunctions impairing both quality and yield formation. The chloride ion can affect quality of plant-based products by conferring a salty taste that decreases the market appeal. However, most of the quality impairments are based on the physiological dysfunctions arise under conditions of chloride toxicity. High concentrations of chloride in the soil can increase availability of the heavy metal cadmium. Guys, pay attention here. We know that that's bad news. I believe that that product screws with the DNA of the plant, that it really comes in and is a disruptor of all kinds of things that we don't want. And it accumulates in wheat grains above the dietary intake thresholds. This is a big deal. Too much chloride increases the uptake of cadmium that we mistakenly somehow let get into our soil. And guys, this is why we are against applying fertilizer that has the heavy metals because as we do more and more and more research, we just find out more and more things that are not good. No one ever came out and said, man, I really hope I can get a lot of arsenic in my fertilizer. Based on the finding that rhizobomol enzymes are inhibited by high concentrations of chlorine, it would be important to know whether the seed pattern storage proteins are also affected. Guys, they're talking about the, that they're studying this and they're learning more and more and they're worried about more and more side effects or bad things that are coming from an excess of chloride. The last, an excerpt here out of this article says that soil salinity is generally attributed to a sodium toxicity, but it is also accompanied by chloride accumulation and the significant loss of potassium. Various studies have revealed that a chloride application exerts detrimental effects on plant growth by directly impairing photosynthetic processes and the activities that transport proteins such as ATPase and other phosphor sources. It also causes a reduction in chlorophyll, a reduction in carbohydrates, and it leads to a disturbance in the protein synthesis by inhibiting the activity of the rhizomal enzymes. 
Guys, these are things that are well studied by PhDs, by guys who are far smarter than I. And I'm not going to go and try and debate this. I just want you to think about it. Do some research. You guys all got computers. See what you can come up with on all of these things. Although the chlorine content in high chlorine treated soil was far from endangering crop growth, it accelerated soil acidification and the loss of base ions and increased the risk of aluminum toxicity. Now we're back to the same thing. We're saying, okay, maybe putting on that chloride didn't hurt us. Maybe it didn't do anything to hurt the crop. But what it did do, it raised the availability of the aluminum. So now we're back, what are we bringing in? Bringing in aluminum, we're bringing in cadmium, we're bringing in other things that we don't want, other metals that we don't want in there, and none of them are beneficial for growing a crop. Aluminum in our soils, guys, that's one of the things that we should be looking at as a contaminant in all of our fertilizer because it's so reactive. You know, it's gonna grab a hold of phosphorus, it's gonna grab a hold of so many things, and we don't want it doing that. And so the idea of buying pure product that doesn't come with some aluminum in it is a really great idea and gonna work out much better for us. We also know that they're finding out that maybe instead of chlorine as a plant essential nutrient, and it is, but that bromine might be a substitute. But we don't know what the side effects of the bromine are. I know if you breathe the gas off of either one of them, it makes you really sick, really sick. It'll burn your lungs, it has a lot of problems. But I just think that guys, I know there's a test that K-State did that showed a, a yield increase to the addition when they added chlorine to the soil. I've only seen one test, it was on wheat. And I think that we wanna be making decisions not based upon one test, but on multiple. Guys, I don't ever want you to make any decision based on one test, one location, one time. Not with our stuff, not with anybody's stuff, because I don't think that's good business. I think the bottom line is, we gotta be looking at one of the reasons I like the Beck's work is they do it in five different locations. They do it over a period of years, because you gotta get some kind of a trend line. In regards to this, if we go into the Western book on 74, and it's gonna tell us what we're looking for for a deficiency. Chlorine is the latest element established as an essential micronutrient. In plant life, it is believed to stimulate the activity of some of the enzymes and to influence carbohydrate metabolism and the production of chlorophyll. Generally, there is no deficiency of chlorine in soils, except in the very humid regions. Normal rainfall will su typically supply sufficient chlorine to maintain normal supplies in the soils. Guys, knowing there's just one little bitty difference between chlorine and chloride, knowing that they can move back and forth, knowing that some of these things that we apply make us get more and more and more aluminum or cadmium or whatever it might be into our plant. We need to be thinking through what it is that we're gonna do in regards to utilizing those. If I go back into the soil up here with Schrieffer, one of the things that he really talked about was he was on the chloride side, and as we know, they are related. He says that when 50 pounds per acre of 0060 is exceeded in row crops, 30 inch or wider spacing, we recommend placing the band three to four inches to the side of the row. This gives the chlorides time to rinse out and become diluted before the roots wander into the zone. A high salt concentration near the roots can cause damage commonly called fertilizer burn. Fertilizer burn is caused by plasmosis. That's the opposite of osmosis. Osmosis is something flowing in. The high salts cause the nutrients and the water to literally seep out of the roots into the surrounding soil. This can cause plant damage ranging from slight retardation of growth to complete dehydration and resulting in deaths of the roots 
and of the plant. Guys, I don't think that chloride is our friend. I, I just can't come up with a way under which we would say that, yeah, we need more of that, that it's going to make a big difference, and we're going to you know, wish that we had done more of this product. We did a lot of digging on these, and there's a lot of stuff that's still unknown, and people are doing more and more work on it. I'm anxious to learn these things. One of the things here in life and energy that I found very interesting, it's a little bit of a lengthy deal, but I just want to share it with you. Ironically, I'm not going to read the part before, but ironically, its chlorine content makes it one of the most detrimental products that can be applied to the soil. Marietta potash contains an average of 40% chloride. When this product comes in contact with the acids or acidified fertilizers such as 0460, which is one of the more commercially used phosphate fertilizers, the chlorine will form muriatic acid, commonly known as hydrochloric acid. That will destroy any bacteria it comes in contact with, and that will acidify the soil, causing minerals such as calcium and iron to become less available in the solution. The chlorine that does not become muriatic acid combines with calcium, magnesium, and especially sodium to form chloride salts that are also detrimental in the soil. They will cause dehydration. They will adversely affect pH and salinization. When potassium chloride contacts nitrogen, half of the chlorine forms hypochlorous acid. The main chemical is actually is used as swimming pool disinfectant. This compound is very hostile to bacteria and inhibits their growth. The other half of the chloride forms a chlorine gas which sifts into the air. Chlorine gas is also toxic to biological life, including people. It is a gas that is heavier than air. Therefore, it lies close to the surface of the land and in low areas. When chlorine gas contacts water from high humidity or rainfall, some of it forms more hypochlorous acid and it may fall as acid rain. The remainder recycles as chlorine gas. Guys, this is a bad thing. When we're putting something out there that can form a chlorine gas, understand it doesn't blow away. It doesn't rise like other things do. It's heavier than the atmosphere, so it settles down and sets on the ground and continues to wreak havoc because chlorine gas is a poison, plain and simple. That's why I'm a little reluctant to use the bromine. I had a good friend who was using bromine to condition a hot tub one time, and they managed to turn that into a gas and made themselves very, very, very sick. And now all of a sudden, agronomists come along saying that chlorides give a response to wheat production and various other crops. What I wonder is this, since many of the researchers did not understand and many reject base saturation percentages, as they deal with soils below 2% base saturation and potassium, is it actually the potassium that's given the response while the credit is being handed to the chloride? However, using adequate amounts of chlorides has eliminated leaf spot in wheat. That's the deal. We just got to use the right amount, and most of us are getting way more of it. Anytime there are 250 parts per million of chlorides show up on our soil test, there is a problem. I've seen concentrations as high as 3,000, but anything at 500 is definitely considered a big problem. By far the biggest part of the problem is when this situation occurs is when the sodium content is also excessive because whenever there's a 5 to 10% base saturation of sodium, you're going to expect a problem and need to develop a plan to deal with it. So we know that there are a lot of problems with this and the things that it will do is 
basically it can poison our plants. We know that it's hard on our soil. We know that it can cause death in the root zone. And we just want to make sure that we're not doing any of these things. Guys, there's a, a lot more stuff here that I could grab out of this, but I just want to go ahead and wrap this thing up for today. But again, in regards to Molly, we don't know a lot. The jury's still out. We're still working. Our recommendation here is that we not just go out with a blanket approach. I don't like a blanket approach on anything. You know that I know there are a lot of people out here who are saying just put 25 pounds of sulfur everywhere. I don't think that's a good idea. I think a soil test is still your friend. I do. And if you need 25 pounds of sulfur, that's great. Maybe you need 50 pounds of sulfur. That's also great. Maybe you don't need any. And so what do we want to do? Be judicious in how we spend our money. Definitely in the world of molly, going out here with a one-size-fits-all, let's put a bunch of molly on, is not a good idea. And in regards to using potassium chloride, you know our opinion of that. We're not big fans. We think potassium sulfate is a much better choice. It gives you sulfur that you may very well need. Based on your soil test, and we know that the chloride is going to dry things out and it's going to react with other chemicals, we know that what we're going to do is increase the availability of cadmium. We're going to increase the availability of aluminum, and those are not things that we want showing up into that plant. Those are disruptors to the plant growth. So, guys, thank you for tuning in. We're looking forward to coming back with day 12. Uh, we're going to look at take a look at zinc on day 12 and what we can find out about that and share with you. I hope your holiday is you're ready for it. It's coming soon, guys. And thanks for tuning in. We hope you're having a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.